Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. So uh, let's open up our, our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 14. We're actually going to pick up right where we left off from last week and um, into another miracle, um, just an amazing uh, display of God's power, but for a spiritual purpose. And uh, if you've been... Part of our Sunday mornings for a while now, you'll know that uh, we've been in a, a train of thought to follow Jesus with the, with the emphasis of following his personal ministry and gleaning from that, learning about him. And that's what, all, that's, that's what his ministry was about, revealing himself to humanity. This is who I am. And so I want us to follow him in this and learn, I don't know how much you know about Jesus, but I pray this morning you'll learn more than what you did. Or if you knew some of the things already, you'll be reassured of who he is. And just, it'll elevate your praise and worship that much the more. But today, I would just say, if you are not a child of God, as God deals with your heart, don't wait another day to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And um, we have no promise of tomorrow. Death comes to all ages. Eternity is sure. And Jesus is willing to save. And so Matthew 14 and verse 22, we'll read through verse um, 33. All right? If you're there, say amen. Okay. So as from last week, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Of course, we learned there were far more than 5,000, but uh, 5,000 men besides women and children. And the great teaching of that Jesus is the bread of life, bread for the soul, that you never hunger again when you put your faith and trust in him. And so as they, as they ended that, we come to verse 22. It says, and straightway, so there's urgency here, all right? And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Of course, this would be a, a small, pretty much a small fishing boat, um, and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus is sending them away. He's not going with them. And while he disperses the crowd. Okay? And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. So now he's alone. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In other words, it was simply blowing straight in their face. So it was, it was real... Um, a traumatic moment here. Um, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, you tell me the next word, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, 
He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, let's say this together, ready to begin, Thou art the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together this far. Father in heaven, I pray that our worship is pleasing to you. Um, Lord, as we, we come to this point of opening up your word and just declaring what your word is saying to our hearts today. And I pray for all of our hearts, including mine, that we'll be receptive and we'll be obedient and we will respond as you're leading us to. I pray you help us to set aside the fear of man and, and just fear in, in, in general because fear removes our faith and it, it diminishes our faith. And if we're going to please you, it must be by faith. So I pray you help us to remove any amount of fear that's in our hearts. And I pray that everyone will be found taking the step that you're leading them to take today. And Father, all that I desire is that I speak the truth clearly and uh, that, that who you are is understood in every, in every mind and heart. Just be with us, commune with us, Father, and do the work that only you can do in the heart of each and everyone here and everyone that may be listening. Help me to disappear from the stage that only your voice would be heard. And I pray all this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. So you go from one amazing miracle right into another. It's really an amazing transition here. You find um, that the feeding of the 5,000 took place. Um, and Jesus is telling them, he said, I want you all to get in the ship and I want you to leave me on the shore. I want you to go sail to the other side. He gave them a destination. And he said, I'm going to stay back here and I'm going to don't know how he did it, don't know what he said, really doesn't matter, but he was going to disperse the crowd. And then Jesus uh, had a, something that he was going to do, which we'll see in just a moment, he was going to go and pray. But what I want you to understand this morning, and the title is, Our Ever-Present Savior, um, I want you to understand the reality of the presence of Jesus. And that's what this miracle here uh, is, is definitely all about is helping his, what I would call his ragtag inner circle of men, um, understand truly the reality of his presence. He's not in the boat. So he's wanting them to understand even more so about what it means for him to be present. He may not be physically in the boat with them, but he is their ever-present Savior. And folks, he is not with us physically today. But I want us to understand he is a very present Savior. He is our very present, capable, able, and willing Lord. And that is the main thrust of this miracle here. And I pray that you leave your understanding that Jesus is available. Jesus is near and he is willing to save. He's willing to help you in whatever way spiritually that you need help with today. And so please, I want you to walk away with that. This morning, I want to talk about three things uh, in this thought of our ever-present Savior. 
Now, as we look at verse 22, I've done told you what happened. It said, in Jesus, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples. So there was urgency. You know, it's an urgent thing to come to know who Jesus is. So he's, he's moving here. Um, and so he sent them away in the ship. He dispersed the crowd, all to do one thing, and it was to go to be alone and pray. That may seem like an odd thing to you. The Savior, the, the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh, going to pray to the Father. But that is what Jesus went away to do. But what I want, I want, to, I want to really ask you some questions in, under this thought. But I want you to notice something first. I want you to notice the steps Jesus took to have the quality time that he needed with his Father. All that he was able to do was through the power of his Father. He needed him and his, and, and his Spirit to empower him and lead him and equip him to do what he needed to do. He resurrected by the power of the Spirit. That, that's how he resurrected from the grave. Here in his ministry, he needs time with the Father. And notice the measures that he took. He said, guys, I'm, I, we've got more ministry to do, but I need you to go on ahead of me. And the crowd, he dispersed them. He needed time with the Father. And you see that in his actions. And you may say that you need time with the Lord, but is it seen in your preparation in order to spend time with the Father? Now, I know we pray as we're going down the road. We pray over our meal, but this was, this was an intimate time with the Father. No distractions, no ministry, nothing happening, no one to distract me. I need to get alone with God. And I'm going to tell you, many of us need to have that more of a priority in our life, is getting alone with God. It's not just working for God. You've got to get alone with God. Know the will of God. Know the mind, mind of the Lord. And you're going to find these measures that he took. Jesus, at this point, has, was closer to the cross than he'd ever been. Each step in ministry, he's getting closer to the cross. I think each and every day, the, the weight of that moment, just a little bit more and more and more, become heavy on his shoulders and who he was. And he needed to spend time with the one, the one's will that he came to fulfill. And can I tell you something today? Every Christian ought to care about the will of God for their life. But how are you going to keep that ever-present in your mind and be courageous and brave and, and, and be continuing toward that mark that God has put on you if you don't get alone with God? You must get alone with God to keep the will of God on your mind and the desire of His heart for your life on your mind. Folks, how many of y'all face so many distractions this week? How many of you face distractions yesterday? Just one day, one hour. And, and I don't have my phone on me, but we even have that today. Every ding, every ring, folks, that breaks your concentration. And I have learned when I get along with God, either I put my phone completely on airplane mode. That means it's not going to ding or ring, or I give it to my wife, and I say, don't give it to me until I'm done. I don't need distraction. I need to be alone with God. He, we are here about his mission. He desired closeness to the Father. You're not going to be close in fellowship with your Father if you're not getting alone with him. 
You know, it's sort of like, you think about a marriage. Andy and I were raising two boys and, and also, you know, running a small business and being a part of a ministry here. And we're, you know, going back and forth saying hi and bye. And, you know, we're around each other and, and, and we're doing things together. But it's different than when we can get by ourselves and be alone. What kind of time do you call that? Quality time. We reconnect. We talk We learn each other's hearts. We know how to pray for one another. And dear friend, we need to do that with God. We need to spend time with Him. I believe some of the things that Jesus did, Jesus, I think, prayed for His men. Even times that even the Bible records are praying for His followers. But I think He prayed for them. I think He prayed about, you know, Father, strengthen me. I want to carry out your will. He He continued in obedience to His Father. And he wanted this inner circle to truly believe who he was. I think many Christians, and maybe some of you here today, have still not got to the, or, or maybe, maybe don't even have a desire, maybe not even spending time to get to a deeper understanding of who has saved you and who that keeps you and who that is coming back for you. Learn who your God is, and one of the best ways of doing that is getting alone with him. A missionary will never make it on the field if he doesn't or she doesn't get alone with God. A pastor will never make it in the pastor if he doesn't get alone with God. Marriages, they may be together, but they're not unified. They're not strong if they're not getting alone with God. And I will tell you this, children need to see their parents getting alone with God. Jesus gives us a great example that it's important. If it's important for the Son of God to get alone and pray, then His followers... Definitely need to get along with God and pray. So let me ask you a question. Are you a person of prayer? I think prayer is truly is an evidence of true conversion. If you don't pray, and those don't desire to pray in your life, you're not saved. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, I had a desire put in me. And I began to learn who I was dependent on. And the Spirit brings me to prayer. Doesn't he do that for you? The Spirit only dwells in the believer. And he will bring you to prayer. Can you resist? Yeah. Can you grieve the Spirit? Yes. But he's going to keep tugging at you to spend time with God in prayer. It's a mark of true conversion. J.C. Ryle said it this way. He said, but this I do say that not, that not praying is a clear proof that a man is not yet a true Christian. He cannot really feel his sins. He cannot love God. He cannot feel himself a debtor to Christ. He cannot long after holiness. He cannot desire heaven. He has yet to be born again. He has yet to be made a new creature. I'm telling you, dear friend, now that I'm, the moment that I was born again, I begin to feel the things that maybe I was doing wrong to God or I was grieving him or the sin in my life. I, now I had a life where I hated that. I did not desire that. And, and I, it would bring me to my knees to pray about those things. Praying is a mark of true conversion. If you say that I'm a person of prayer, how much time, and I'll tell you this, the past couple of weeks I, I have been in the mode of repentance over when I thought I was a man of prayer, I began to learn how much I wasn't. What do you mean, Brother Josh? How much time did I allow to pass when my eyes opened to a new day? When, how, how long did it take for me to be awake until I prayed? How many things happened before I prayed? If I'm going to be a man of prayer, I better be starting with prayer. 
To not start with prayer at the very dawn of the day or when you wake up. It begins to reveal to us that we've lost touch with our true dependence on God. Without Him, I can't take a breath. Without Him, my heart can't beat. If I love my spouse, I'm going to pray for her before she starts her day. I'm going to pray for my children before they wake up and get us all busy. I mean, a person of prayer is truly going to let that be a priority in their life. Notice it was a priority to Jesus. If you say you're a person of prayer, prayer is a true mark of sanctification. It helps set you aside for God. Who believes that? Getting along with God is the process of helping you being set apart for God. If we say that we are praying, are you praying against sin day and night? Are you continually just diving into the same sin every day? If you're really someone who prays, you're going to be praying against the world and not continually be absorbed by it. Being someone of prayer. Are you really praying for grace to serve you in your life? Pray. Now, I know all of us pray, but I'm talking about being a person of prayer. Can you ever pray too much? Can you ever pray too long? No. And I'll say this, and I'll go to the second thought. Do you know that the Spirit and Jesus are there to help you? Do you not have anything to talk to God about? The one who holds your breath in his hand? The one who keeps your soul? Do you really not have anything to talk to God about? Sure we do. The Spirit helps us. Jesus is our advocate. Romans 8, 34, who is he that, con- that condemneth? It is Christ that died, did rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also make intercession for us. Jesus spent time in prayer. He, was, he is our present Savior today. He is presently advocating for us. But secondly, I want you to see Jesus noticed their faith and their problem. So he was there, he was there praying, but then he got disrupted. By what? By the, by the faith being exercised as well as the problem his children were facing. And so as we look at this, we'll see that he sent his disciples away. The wind was contrary. And when you, when you look at that, it's describing that they were, going, they were sailing into the wind. The wind was not at their back. The wind was in their face. That's what a storm's like, isn't it? It hits you right in the face. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. And it doesn't relent sometimes. It's not like it just doesn't relent. It won't stop. And you're just getting weary and tired. You're rowing. That's what they were doing. They were rowing against the wind. Let me ask you a question. What would be the most logical thing for them to do uh, and as far as sailing goes? Sail against the wind or turn around and let the wind take them back where they started? Turn around. Let the wind be against their back. But I have to, admonish, I have to uh, you know, say something about these men They were practicing faith. They said, our Savior said, go to the other side, and we're going to row against the wind until we get there. That's what they were doing. They were exercising faith. They did not turn around, but they kept sailing into the wind. They were not turning their back on Jesus. Let me ask you something, dear believer. When the wind smacks you in the face, are you turning your back on the mission your Savior sent you to do? On your fatherhood, your motherhood, the living the sanctified and separate life? Being faithful to his church and worship and and, and being a soul winner for the Lord. We always have a mission. 
Our sailing, our direction should not, be, should not shift us to a different course because that circumstance just got more difficult. They said, we don't care about the difficulty here. We are sailing to where Jesus told us to sail. And he wasn't in the boat. So that really says a lot about their faith. Even though he wasn't in the boat, they believed that we're going to follow our Savior One thing they understood, now listen to me. One thing they understood was this. That the safest place for them to be, and the most blessed place for them to be, was in the middle of the storm, sailing against the wind, than to be back at point A, at shore. Why? Why is that? Because they knew they were in the hands of God. You can never remove yourself from the hands of God. No power, no devil, nor demon or principality can remove you from the hand of God. And they knew they were safer there than at shore. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought of it like that? Or do you find yourself just backpedaling real quick to get back to shore again? They understood that this was the safest place for them. Can I tell you something? It reminds me of what Jesus said. He said, I will never, what? Leave you nor forsake you. But he wasn't in the boat, Pastor. Yes, he did. If that's what you think, you've not quite learned the reality of the presence of Jesus. He wasn't physically, but he doesn't have to physically be there to impact their life. He is there. He had the promise. They had the, he had, they had the command, and they went And this storm, sometimes storms are meant to correct. This storm was meant meant for to perfect them, not correct them. Storms are far more, you know, the purpose of a storm is more than what you think it may be. Sometimes it is to correct, sometimes it's to perfect, sometimes it's both. The storm, if, if the storm comes and it hits you in your life, the word that the word that should be from your heart is Lord. Show me what I need to see. Strengthen me that I may continue in the storm. And help me praise you while I'm in the storm. Jesus tested them once while he was in the boat. But now it's time to be tested with him out of the boat. But notice what happens. So they were sailing, they're in the middle of the sea. They're in the middle, they're in the middle of the lake. They're, they're, they're there, about the farthest from any shore. And so Jesus notices what's going on. Now he doesn't, you know, he says about the fourth watch of the night, then he went out. <laughs> there was a specific time he went out. He didn't go quite right then, but he went. You ever thought God just abandoned you? Now, when that storm started, he should have showed up and got rid of it. But Jesus, the, third, the fourth watch of the night, which is about between, I think, 3 and 6 a.m., about a time of window, then he went out. He went to them. You can always rest assured he may not come to you when you think he needs to or when you want to, but he will come when he knows that it's the best time for your faith to grow. When it's going to be the most prime time for you to see him more clearly, that's when he will come. He doesn't come to give you comfort. He comes to conform your heart and your mind and your life to whose image? His image. Why? Because the world needs him, not you. It needs what he can provide, not what you can provide. 
That's why they were not going to make it to shore just on themselves. They had to have Jesus, and he went to them. One thing that I love about this is that Jesus always sees your need. He sees your faith, he responds to your faith, and he responds to your need. He does. The first thing that we find that he, he, was, he, was, he come out of his prayer, he noticed they were still sailing in the direction he put them on. That's faith. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I was born again that moment. He responds to your faith. And dear believer, when you live in obedience, he responds to your faith. But he also responds to your need. It's possible at times to feel like, you know, God has forgotten you or even to feel like Jesus has deserted you. Paul, the Apostle Paul had real low moments in ministry. There's a time he went back, he went to, to tent making. It was a low, low moment in his ministry. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, Insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul had those moments. Of course, he came out of those moments knowing that his grace is sufficient. Amen? Warren Wearsby said it this way. He says, he sees your need, he knows your fears, and he's in control of the situation. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. Jesus went at the right time. May seem when all hope was gone, that's when he shows up. Because he wants you to know that he is your hope. He is your peace. He is your joy. Many times he wants you to come to the end of trusting yourself and what you can provide to now trusting him. And it takes those end of the rope moments and he shows up. But he came in a powerful way. I love this. He came in a powerful way. He didn't get in a boat. He said, fellas, I'm on my way. He didn't, he didn't get in a boat. He didn't need a boat. He didn't need anything. He had sufficiency in himself to get to his men. He wanted them to learn about the presence of himself and their life. He came in a powerful way. What did he do, what did he do church? How did he get to his men? I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Walked on what? Water. Walked on water. Why did he do that? Why was it that way? You ever ask questions like that? Why did he choose to walk on the water? The waves are white capping. The wind's blowing. I mean, all the, all the water is not, it's not sturdy ground. It's he wants, them to re- he wants them to understand that He is Creator. He wants them to understand that all of creation settles under His feet. Everything. And that's one of the fulfillments of Jesus. He'll bring all things under His feet. He's ruler. He's sovereign. He's king. And He wants them to understand that I, all these waves that are bringing fear into your life, they're going to be stepping stones to bring me to you. He wanted them to know that the very thing that brought more fear into their life was the very thing that would bring peace closer to them. You ever misread a storm? Well, they misread it. Fear and anxiety. It was actually the very instrument that would bring them closer to their Savior. These waves were simply, essentially steps. Did you know he walked approximately about three and a half miles to get to them? Did you know that? They're in the middle of, of the body of water, which from the shore, approximately, 
about three and a half miles. There's no distance that our Savior won't travel to come to you. Is that a blessing? That's Jesus. His presence is not... You ever said... You ever heard this phrase, it's just guesswork? It's just, 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 a, just a guess. The presence of Jesus is not a guess. It is a guarantee. That's the presence of Jesus. And then he shows up and they said, it's a ghost! <laughs> that tells you they were still lacking an understanding of the presence of Jesus in their life. It's a ghost, it's a spirit. They lacked, they lacked some growth there. The figure that now came into focus was now they're distressed. They weren't distressed about the storm. They were distressed about Jesus there. His presence. They mistook. They, they, it, was a mis, uh, it was a mistake. They, they didn't quite see him clearly. And, and folks, Christians, we need to be so close to God that we don't mistake the hand of God in our life. We need to know if it's God or not. And they had more to learn. But I want you to see this. Jesus empowered them. Lastly, Jesus empowered them with his words. Oh, this gets good. Jesus empowers them with his words. I want you to understand, you know, sometimes the provision is what sort of comforts us. But we don't need the provision. All we need are the words. His words. Notice what happens. He, he comes to them and they cried out for fear. And then he said, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. You know what that reminds me of, Eddie? It reminds me of when, when God told Moses, I am. I, I am that I am. I, I am the I am. Don't be afraid, right? Be a good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. You go to Mark. Here's something interesting. You go to Mark. It said that he was walking as if he would just pass him up. Why would he walk like that? That's, what, that's the part that Mark contributes to the story. It was almost as if Jesus was trying to say, all you need to do is have confidence in my word and follow me to shore. I don't need to be in the boat. I, instead of putting, keeping their eyes upon the boat, but they need to put their eyes on the one who is walking on the water. That's where their eyes and heart needed to be. As if he would walk by past them. As if I don't need to be in that boat. Put your eyes on me and follow me. Trust me. That's what he's saying to every one of you today. If you're an unbeliever, he's saying, trust me. Put your faith and trust in me as Savior and Lord. To the believer, he's, at, he's, he's begging you to put your confidence in his lordship and in his power. Whatever you're going through in life, trust him. Trust his words. His words are as good as the provision. Do you believe that? Does our life reflect that? Jesus sensed the fear and he spoke the words. Hey, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the... What they needed was their faith in the storm. He gave them the sufficient word. That's all they needed. Of course, God in his loving kindness and patience and long-suffering does board the ship. But they did not have to have him board the ship. All they truly needed 
was his word. So you see this corporate, and we'll get to Peter in just a second and we'll be done. But this, 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 this body, this was going to be the, the beginning, is the beginning of the church. So these bo- this body of believers here, they're in the boat, and collectively they needed the word of God. They needed Jesus. So just church, real quick, you need Jesus corporately. We, can, we don't need to take another step in ministry, anything that we do without Jesus, without his spirit. Of course, thankfully, his spirit always comes. He's with us, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. But let me just throw that out there. But then the individual says, well, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. So Jesus' words, they're all that Peter needed, and so... What does Jesus tell Peter? Come. Once again, listen. He didn't say, now Peter, let me come out here and level all these waves out initially here. And, and, then, and then you'll see that it's solid ground. Then you can walk on it. He didn't do that. He didn't prep the waves and flatten the waves just in the path from the boat to Jesus and left the waves out away from Peter. No, that's not what he did. All he told Peter, he said, son, come. You can imagine Peter. Peter's in the boat. Of course, he's already white-knuckled the edge of the boat, right? Like some people do, white-knuckled the edge of the pew and won't let go, right? You can see him begin to put one leg out, it probably sinking. He ain't quite locked on Jesus yet. And then let the other leg out, and it's not solid ground yet. But one problem, yeah, he's in the water, but he's still got to hold the boat. <laughs> you're not going to walk to Jesus when you're holding on to something else. you got to let go. And what you're going to find here with Peter is that these waves did not become solid under his feet until he let go and locked on to Christ. Here's the amazing thing what Jesus does. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the, the power or the ability that, that he has, that he was able to walk on the waves, it come, it come under Peter's feet the moment he trusted Christ. That's what happened. They solidified under his feet. He allowed his power to come to Peter and empower him to do what he invited him to do. I'm so thankful today that Jesus comes to us as a Savior He reveals to us our sin and our unbelief. And he says, come. Come. What does it mean mean to come in that that way? It means to repent and trust Christ alone as Savior. Crying out to him with a believing, trusting, depending faith. That he is the only way to heaven. And it will happen. You become a child of God. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life forever his. And dear Christian, you're in some stormy waters right now, and you need, you need to be able to sail these waters or walk on these waters. I'm telling you right now, the only way you're going to do it is let go of the boat and look at Christ and take one step at a time. Peter didn't run. He walked. And God's not always telling you to run. He's telling you to take steps toward him. And he will equip you to do that. So Peter was doing great. He locked on. He was actually doing what Jesus was doing. But then it wasn't just Jesus that Peter noticed, right? He began to look at the things around him. Aren't we all guilty of that? We find that he saw the wind, felt the wind again. 
saw the waves again. So if you're going to see that, all those things, that means you're not looking at Jesus. The reason he walked well to Jesus is because he saw the one path. There was no other way to look at this but at Christ. But when he began to see two ways, the ground got unsteady again. They become waves instead of solid ground. And he began to sink. You see, what, Peter, what happened here with Peter's life is that he was acting like a thermometer instead of a thermostat. You tracking me? What does a thermometer do? The outside affects it, right? And it's going to rise or fall according to the conditions outside. But a thermostat does what? The outside doesn't control it. You set that thermostat where you want it to be, and it keeps it at that temperature. Christians don't need to be thermometers. They need to be thermostats. How can you be a thermostat? How can, you set the, how can you set the temperature even though it is so hot or so cold? By looking at Christ. Keeping your eyes, keeping your heart on Him. But Peter went from a thermostat to a thermometer and he began to sink. But I'll say this. Peter got out of the boat. Amen. You've got you to gotta thank Peter for that. He says, it, it is possible to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus. Peter wasn't a perfect man. He had mistakes. He had weak faith. But he had faith and he walked to Jesus. And as soon as he began to sink, he wasn't head underwater yet. As soon as he realized his mistake and his, it, the water started to come up to his ankles and then his knees, he cried out. He didn't wait till he was sunk. As soon as he started sinking, he cried out. That's called repentance. That's saying, Lord, I'm sorry for taking my eyes off you. I'm not going to wait till I'm buried in my sin and become so backslid and so wayward. No, I want to get back to that connection again. Lord, save me. In other words, he's saying, deliver me. Deliver me from the result of my doubt. That's usually what God delivers us from. It's the result of our doubt, isn't it? And God is so, so what did Jesus do? He didn't delay. Again, he responds to faith, doesn't he? Jesus came, took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he said, Why did you doubt? Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, folks, I want you to learn something here. When fear rises up, faith dies. They cannot live together. If there's strong fear, there's weak and little faith. If there's strong and great faith, there's very little to no fear in your life. If you want fear gone, let faith thrive in your life. And so Peter refocused on Jesus. He did not delay. Let me ask you a question. What, what, what's causing you to delay today to look back to Christ? Maybe you've been born again, but you're not following Jesus. You've not followed a scriptural baptism. You're not living in obedience. What, what's, what's delaying you from looking back to Jesus? That's where true life and joy and peace and obedience is where you should desire if you're born again. What is delaying your step? You know, I'll leave you with this verse. Peter learned his lesson. And what's amazing when you look at Peter's life, and I'm done, last verse I'm going to give you and we're going to close. Peter's learning life lessons here, being a believer, following Christ. What's amazing is to look at these moments and then go to the writings that Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. Let me give you one. 1 Peter 3, 12. Same guy, same guy. Listen. 
For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open under their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You can't tell me, as the Lord was leading him, his mind didn't go back to that walking on the water moment, the sinking moment, Jesus showing up in their need. Of course it did. But you see Peter saying, hey, take it from a guy who was there. Take it from a guy who doubted and shouldn't have. Take it from a guy who who walked to Jesus, who, that Jesus was all that I needed, that Jesus is a loving, ever-present, sufficient, able, willing Savior. Take it from a guy who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Listen, he is, his eyes are on you. His ears are open unto you. Take it from me. I know. I'm so thankful the, 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 the Spirit allowed Peter, Peter to write this. Because it connects that experience Peter had to the inspiration of Scripture. I'll say this, Miss R, Brother Eddie, if you'll come. When our faith, listen, when our faith takes hold of Jesus, Jesus takes hold of you. When my faith was placed on Christ as Savior, He then called me a son. When I'm out in my own effort trying to swim in this world and my own effort and my doubt and those kind of things, and then I put my, my, my eyes back on Jesus and I cry out and I, I put my faith back in Him as, him as being Lord and, and trusting Him in the moment, He lifts me up out of the water. That's Jesus. What will you do with the ever-present Savior today? What is he telling you today about yourself? Are you lost? Have you ever trusted Christ? Has there been a moment in your life where you've cried out to him, repenting, confessing unbelief, and confessing a believing faith in Christ alone as Savior? Have you had that moment? Dear believer, are you trusting God? Are you surrendered? Are you yielded? Are you a Christian of prayer? What's God telling you about yourself that needs to be changed, and the only way for that to be changed is for you to come to him. As Christ told Peter, he told Peter what? Come. As we stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment.